If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 3. <clears throat> Acts chapter 3, that's where that song began. The man at the gate, beautiful. <clears throat> if you're looking in your pew Bible, it's somewhere around uh, page 926, something like that. Acts chapter 3. I want to begin our thinking this morning this way. If you were sitting in your house this afternoon or tomorrow, and a knock came on your door, or maybe your doorbell rang, and you went to the door to find Jehovah God calling and to visit a while, what would change in your life? What would change in your day? What would change what you watched on TV? What would change for you? Now, we know that and we say it all the time. In fact, we say it so much that we've become anesthetized to it, that God sees, God hears, God knows. But what if he was so real in your place today that you could touch him? Realizing that I've called the, the text in Acts, those who've been in this church for any period of time, you know that Acts is my favorite book of the Bible. And that Acts 2 is my favorite chapter in that favorite book. It seems to me that as we, uh, get, as we come out of the week of a revival time together, a, play, a time when we saw God do some things in people's lives, that we need to see what happened in Scripture right after that kind of a meeting. We look at, we're going to look at Peter and John in a second. But before we, read, before we read this, let me give you a historical uh, update of where, where, what's happened. If you look, look back in Acts chapter 1, you see 500 people going on the mountaintop with Jesus. <clears throat> That's the Mount of Ascension. And he ascended in front of 500 people. Now, we know those people were Baptist, Brother Terry. It just dawned on me this week. Because on that mountaintop, he said, guys, don't miss the prayer meeting back in Jerusalem in the upper room. And only about 20, 22% showed up for prayer meetings. So we know they were Baptist. But those 120 people that went back to the upper room, they prayed for 10 days. They were in, maybe they weren't Baptist, they were in one mind, in one accord. And then the Holy Spirit of God fell. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God fell. And when the Spirit of God fell in that place, it was not an unnoticeable event. You can go ahead, Cameron. It was not an unnoticeable event. In fact, it was so pronounced, everyone in the room knew. It was so loud that everyone in the community knew. And it was so powerful that 3,000 people were saved. When God shows up, Things happen. And so the power of God rested on these people so much that Acts chapter 2 ends this way. Verse 47 says, And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. When God shows up, things are different. Let's pick up today in Acts chapter 3, if you will stand. 
and we will read uh, the Word of God together, if you can stand. Now, Peter and John were going up together to the temple complex at the hour of prayer at three in the afternoon. And a man was, who was lame from his mother's womb was carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called Beautiful so he could beg from those entering the temple complex. <clears throat> when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple complex, he asked for help. Peter, along with John, looked at him and intently said, Look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I have neither silver nor gold, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then, taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. And at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up, stood, and started to walk, and he entered the temple complex with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple complex. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. And I like how that verse 11, it's not on the screen, but it is in your Bible. And it says, while he was holding on to Peter and John, Peter and John had made an impact in his life because God had shown up in their lives. And he held on to them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it's my prayer this morning as we peer into your word that you will speak to our hearts. We thank you for the way that you spoke to our hearts this week. We thank you for the way that you showed up this week. We ask you not to retreat. We ask you to show up and be in our presence this morning, that we can sense you around us, that our lives will be different. In your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Have you ever been to a party that was dull and boring and lifeless? Have you ever been to a party? Maybe you've never been to a party. Have you ever been to a party that was dull and boring and lifeless until Mr. or Ms. Charisma walked in? When they walked in, all of a sudden that dull and party, that dull and lifeless party began to take on life, began to take on a life of its own. We see this uh, happening in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, things were just so-so and they prayed and the Holy Spirit of God fell. And when the Holy Spirit of God fell, what I perceive is that hearts were aglow, tongues were aflame, and what happened was amazing because God showed up. This past week, in some measure, we've seen God show up. We've had some folks who really had experience with Almighty God. Some people who God has kind of set free. Some people who who God has redirected their life. For some people, it was just a matter of affirming what they already knew. But when God shows up, things happen. And I suggest to you this morning that I want God to show up in my life. I want him to show up in your life. I want him to show up in this building, this community, and this country. But when he shows up, make no mistake, 
things change. Hello? Now, Baptists don't get really excited when the preacher starts talking about things changing. Now, Brother Steve said it well this week. When, when the Spirit of God shows up, things may be different in the service. Things may be different in the programming. Things may be different in the church because God doesn't show up to take his rightful place among his people. God shows up to take over. I want to suggest to you four things that happens in the life of us puny humans when God shows up. You can keep score on the back of your bulletin. I understand your numbers are wrong back there, but it'll work just fine, okay? First of all, when God shows up, perceptions are corrected. Perceptions are corrected. Now, some of you are going, why are you using such a big word? Well, you know, perceptions, your perception is reality. Whatever you perceive is true to you. I mean, you think about that just a, just a bit. Puppy love is real to the puppy. Hello? You know, you can tell you, you can blow your teenage off, and when they tell you they're in love, you know, uh, uh, one of our kids, and I don't remember which one, said to me one time, Daddy, I'm in love. And my response was, again? You see, when we perceive something, we act on it. For instance, if you perceive that something is your responsibility, you will act on it. If you're at your work and you perceive this task that needs to be done falls under your job description, if you're the employee you should be, you'll get after it. If you perceive that it doesn't fall under your uh, sphere of responsibility, you won't do anything about it. In the spiritual world, if we perceive or when we perceive that we are responsible for hurting people, for people outside of Christ, for lost people, for people who need help, for the poor, when we perceive that we're responsible, we respond. When we don't perceive it, we don't respond. We can find that right in this text. Because, listen, we know that Peter and John had gone to the temple complex many, many times. And we know from the Scripture that this crippled man had been there because the Scripture says they laid him there every day at the temple complex. Additionally, we know that he was there very regularly because it tells us toward the end of the verse that when he got up and uh, having himself a party, that people recognized this man as the one who sat at the gate beautiful to beg. So we know he was there a lot. So what was the difference today? I will tell you what I think the Scripture teaches us, that when God shows up, we pay attention like he does. And there are two ways that I'm going to tell you in present perfect tense that it changes our lives when God shows up. First of all, in the manner of seeing. In the manner of seeing. It says, when they saw him. Again, they had gone many times into the temple and they had not seen him. Oh, he might have been there, but they overlooked him. How many times do we overlook people in need because we're so busy going about our own life? We perceive that they are not our responsibility. We perceive that that is not part of what I'm called to do. And so we don't see. And yet when we see, when God comes into our life, 
When He shows up in our lives in a manifest way, you know what you'll, you and I will do? We will see like Jesus sees. We will hear like Jesus hears. We will feel like Jesus feels. And we will do like Jesus does. Because when God shows up in our lives, our seeing is different. We will also be about sharing. I love this part of the scripture. And yet I know it makes people nervous. When the, preach, when the preacher mentions sharing or giving, <laughs> there are flashes of terror in people's eyes because they think the preacher is going to give them the same principle of the rich young ruler. Go sell everything you have and give it all to the poor. Second, we might think that, uh, um, that we're like the Acts 2 church that went out and sold everything and lived communal. Well, there's no divine mandate for that. But there is a divine mandate to share, to give. Now, some people are blessed with the gift of giving. Because when the preacher mentions sharing or giving, people go to money. There are some people who are blessed with the spiritual gift of giving. Deborah and I happen to have uh, some friends who are blessed with the gift of giving. In fact... When something would come up at the church and we needed some money, one of them would come into my office and go, well, what can we do? And I said, well, you know, we might need $1,000. They go, oh, that's too easy. What else can we do? If you don't have the gift of giving, you don't understand that. But watch this. Along with their gift of giving, you know what God has blessed them with? The resources to give. Because he can trust them with, with the money. Sometimes God doesn't give to us because he can't trust us with it. But isn't it interesting? We put all this value on money. And most of us will say, I don't have any money to give. And yet we're in the top 5 10% of people in the world when it comes to financial wealth. But isn't it interesting that Peter and John in this little narrative teaches us something more profound than we ever want to imagine. He says, look, guy, I know what you want. You want... Some moms, you want some money. You want me to give you some money, but here's what I'm going to tell you. I don't have any money to give you. That probably wasn't totally true. He probably had a couple of coins in his pocket. I don't have any money to give you because that's not really what you need. But what I do have, I'm going to give it to you. You see, folks, that's the sharing that happens when God comes into our lives, when he shows up. All of a sudden, we have something beyond this world to give to other people. We have something beyond this world to share with other people. Such as I have, I give you. First of all, you're not going to give it away if you don't have it. If you don't have Jesus and his love in your life, you're not ever going to be able to give it away. You can talk about it, but you can't give it. You can't give what you don't have. One of our men in a private meeting not long ago said these words. We need to learn to love each other. We need to learn to love each other and love each other unselfishly. You see, when we learn to love each other, that is an indication that God has shown up in our lives and now we're sharing what He has given us. And by the way, if you don't think you have anything to share, I suggest you to go back to that place where you felt like you invited Christ into your life because if Christ has come into your life, you now have the most incredible gift in all of the world 
to share. It is true, you can negate that gift by how you live, by how you talk, by how you act, by your demeanor, by your attitude. But when God shows up in our lives, He will straighten us out. When God shows up, our perceptions are corrected. We know that now we're all about the same things Jesus was about. Seeing, seeing the field, seeing the people. Seeing the need and then sharing this wonderful gift that God has given us. Our perceptions are corrected. The second thing that I see here that I believe happens when God shows up in our lives is our prayers are consistent. Our prayers are consistent. Now we look here at verse 1 and we see the dynamic duo, Peter and John, going in the temple complex to pray at the prayer time. Why in the world... Are they going together and why do they feel like, I mean, they're the disciples for crying out loud. Why do they have to do this? Well, here's what I will tell you. These disciples learned that the secret of life was spending quality time with God in prayer. That 120 gathered in that upper room and they prayed for 10 days. And when the power of God fell, the pleasure of being in His presence fell because you could sense Him all around you and they saw the work. They had witnessed Jesus, if you will, every morning slipping off to pray. They had heard Him teach about prayer. They had seen Him sweat in the garden and praying to the Heavenly Father because they knew that Jesus was calling on the Father to help Him through that difficult time at the cross. Brothers and sisters... If, if there is any motivation to being consistent in our prayer, it is when God shows up. Because apart from prayer, God will never show up. wonder what would happen if we spent as much time praying as we did talking about SEC football. I'm not picking on the SEC fans. What would happen if we spent as much time praying as we do watching the TV or playing golf or or whatever our favorite hobby is, deer hunting, fishing? What would happen if we spent as much time with the Father as we did with the folly of this world? You see, Peter and John had now witnessed after watching Jesus, after the Pentecost experience, they were now motivated to spend time in prayer. Do you know why? I'll suggest to you two things that they discovered after they spent that time in prayer. The first thing was they discovered the presence of God. The presence of God. You know, when God's presence comes in, the power of the world goes out. When the peace of God comes in, the pandemonium of the world goes out. And when the joy of God comes in, the jealousy of the world goes out. Those things cannot coexist. The presence of God and the evil of the world cannot coexist in one life or one church. You see, when the presence of God comes, there is victory. When the presence of God is I might say it this way. It's an old song Steve Adams wrote. If you know that name Steve Adams, you're dating yourself like I. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is love. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is peace. There's comfort. 
in life's darkest hour, there's life and light and help and power in the Spirit, in the Spirit of the Lord. And here's the thing. When the presence of the Lord comes in, He comes in on the avenue of consistent prayers. He will not come in on the haphazardness of prayers. I'm reminded of that story that you've heard. Church was in a business meeting. They were arguing. Wow, you've, been, everybody, you've never been in a business meeting like that, have you? In fact, I got a cartoon on my, uh, on my computer. It says, you think our church is a friendly church? Why don't you try coming to our next business meeting? You ever been in a bad business meeting? Well, they were there and they were talking about it and they were doing like this. And finally, one of the older saints said, you know, maybe we should pray about this. Lady on the front row said, My Lord, has it come to that? Well, folks, it hadn't come to that. It always is that. If we want God's presence, we come in prayer. But you know what's interesting to me? They prayed in Pentecost, and He showed up. And that's in chapter 2 of of Acts. And in chapter 3, they were standing there, and... And obviously the presence of the Lord showed up as they healed this guy. And then they get arrested in Acts chapter 4 and get released. And what is the first thing they do when they get released? They go back into a prayer meeting. And they get the second thing that I'll suggest to you. They get the power of God. Because in Acts chapter 4, watch this, Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people were saved. Acts chapter 3, the man is healed. Acts chapter 4, when they prayed, the building was shaken. The building was shaken. Now, if God decided to just to think it, and that's all he's got to do, if he were to think it and this building starts shaking this morning, would he have your attention? You see, the power of God is the power to change lives. It comes through prayer. If you look all through the Bible, Elijah on Mount Carmel prayed to God a very simple prayer, and God sent the fire. Solomon prayed for his people to have revival, and God sent revival. Moses prayed for the children of Israel on numerous occasions to not be destroyed because of their stubborn hard-headedness, and God relented. You see, the secret to the prayer of, to the power of God is in authentic prayer. Now, I'm not talking about the God is great, God is good. May I just say this to you, and you're not going to like it that your preacher's saying this. Don't anybody take this home and tell your mom and dad that I said we shouldn't say the blessing. But you know the times that I find myself not bowing my head and, and saying the blessing for food, it's what I've spent all morning in prayer. When I've asked God to bless every part of my life, and I look at my food and I find myself eating. My mom and dad drilled it in me. You always say the blessing. You always say the blessing. You always say the blessing. And one day I was sitting there eating. I go, oops, I didn't say the blessing. It was like a voice said to me, you've been asking for my blessing all morning long. You see, the truth is, is that when we get connected with the Father and our prayers become consistent, we experience both His presence and His power in our lives. And may I say this to you? The same power they had in the, in the Bible times we're supposed to have today. Did you know that? 
Hello? You look shocked. Acts 1.8 says, After the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll receive, say it with me. Oh, we're excited about that. After the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll receive power. Dunamis is where we get our word dynamite from. We get connected to God. All of a sudden, the the supernatural becomes the natural. The abnormal becomes the normal. Because now we don't work in our strength, we work in His strength. You know why people burn out by and large? There are some notable exceptions. You know why people work out by and large? It's because we try to do God's work in our strength. It'll burn you out every time. Do you know why? Because you're not wired for 220. The work that God has called us to do is far beyond what we can imagine. And it begins on our knees in prayer. So, when God shows up, our perceptions are corrected. We see like He sees. We share like He shares. Our prayers are consistent. And, and when our prayers are consistent, the presence of God comes into our life. The power of God flows in and through our lives. And the third thing that I will tell you is our purposes are clear. Our purposes are clear. I am amazed at the number of people that I personally talk to that seem to have no direction, no purpose in life. Oh, they wouldn't tell you that. You have to read between the lines. But it seems to me that the common ailment is we live a reactionary life. We wait for something to, re- to happen to us, and then we react. We wait for a problem to come into our life, and we react. Stephen Covey teaches us to begin with the end in mind. You see, when we pray through and the Holy Spirit of God shows up and He sends us His presence and His power, we begin to see and share like He does. You know what happens? All of a sudden, we have a life of purpose. And when we know where we're headed to, it's easier to get there. I've always felt sorry for Abraham in the Bible. I mean, can you imagine, men, God coming to you and saying, Hey, Pack up, put it all on the moving van, you're moving. Okay, God, that's fine. Where are we moving to? It's a secret. Can you imagine when he walked in and told Sarah, we're leaving? I mean, I can imagine with Miss Deborah and I, I mean, you're talking to a couple here that over 35 years marriage has changed residences, not towns, has changed residences almost three dozen times. So we know what it is to pack up and move. And uh, in the dictionary, when you look under minister's wife, you'll see a picture of my wife there. Because every time it's time to go, she says, okay. But I, it would be, Teddy, just a little bit different. If I were to walk in one day and say, baby, it's time to go. And she's going, go, okay, where are we going? <laughs> we'll know when we get there. Ladies, how many of you would really like that? You know why? Because you want to know where you're going. Just as surely as we want to know where we're going physically, we need to know where we're going in our lives. And if we're going to know where we're going, just like when we build a house or build a road or build anything else, build a life, we need to know some of the things along the way. And I think Peter and John does a great job 
of having us understand how we get to where we're called to go. And I will say this, begin this way. Look at our asset. Look at our asset. And you're saying, what in the world are you saying? Think about this. Peter and John were fishermen. Obviously, they had boats. They had uh, assets. But they said, I don't have silver and gold. I don't have anything of this world. But what I have, I give to you. Now, watch this. <clears throat> Here's the asset. In the name of Jesus. Do you know the greatest asset you and I have is the name of Jesus? We have relegated the power in the name to our Pentecostal brethren. Please listen. If you believe in Jesus, if you've invited him into your life, if you know Jesus today, his name is your greatest asset. For at the name of Jesus, the devil runs, demons flee, and darkness passes away. At the name of Jesus, souls are changed, hearts are rearranged, lives are redirected. At the name of Jesus, one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess to the glory of God the Father. The name of Jesus is our asset. By the way, if you've never come to faith in Jesus, He'll be your asset. Because you see, asset is something you can count on. And it is in that name of Jesus that you can be saved. It is when you call on Jesus that he changes your heart and life. That he casts aside the sin that so easily brings us down. It is at the name of Jesus that we can be built up. It is at the name of Jesus we can build up. You see, Peter and John standing there at the at the gate called beautiful with a guy in dire need they understood that the greatest asset they have was the one they had seen ascend back to heaven but don't just don't just understand your asset that you're going to need to fulfill your purpose understand your assignment understand your assignment what is our assignment might serve us well it might serve us well to decide what our assignment is not our assignment is not to keep our brothers and sisters straight our assignment is not to be the critical voice our assignment is not to be the mean spirit. Our assignment is to know and understand this word. To spend time in prayer and then to see the need that's so pervasive in this world and respond to that need. It doesn't get much simpler than that. Our assignment to the person outside of Christ is to share his love both in word and deed. You will never be able to share Christ's love in word if you mess it up with your deeds. You'll never be able to share his word in deed if you mess it up with your words. You see, our assignment is to make a difference in this world. Our assignment... Teenagers, our assignment 
is to reclaim our campuses for Christ. Our assignment adults is to reclaim our culture for Christ. That people who so desperately need hope and help find it with us. That's our assignment. Jesus said, go and make disciples and baptize them. And if we're faithful to do this, God shows up in our lives and He corrects our perception and, he, and our prayers become consistent and our purposes become clear. You know what happens? Watch this. People are changed. People are changed. I like, personally, this is a preference more than anything else. I like the statement as equated to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, changing lives for time and eternity. That means we change lives for time down here. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. He came for us to have abundant life, life to the fullest down here. And then he came to give us eternal life, time down here, eternity over there. When you look in here, this young man's life was changed like he never thought it would be changed. He never thought he'd be able to walk. Look what happened. First of all, when lives are changed, first of all, they're strengthened by us. They're strengthened by our work. He says, he says, um, name of Jesus, get up and walk. Then it says, and taking him by the right hand. In my mind's eye, Peter took his right hand and grabbed the crippled boy by his right hand and gave him one of these numbers. I want you to think about this. He extended his hand. When he extended his hand, he didn't just extend his own physical hand. He extended the hand of Christ. You see, we're to be Christ's hands. We're to be his arms. We're to be his His people who reach. We're to, be, we're to be His extension, the extension of who He is. And when we symbolically reach out our hands to our hurting brother, because we have been faithful, our Lord then strengthens ankles and feet. That's what it said. It says, when He reached out, and at once His feet and ankles became strong. Who is it that you're reaching out to today? We say, oh yeah, God's shown up in my life and I'm saved. Okay, well, who is it that you're reaching out to to help today? Who is it that you're reaching to to change today? You see, who is it that we're strengthening today? God calls us to be encouragers. Oh, yes, there's some, there's some times that we have to stand on Scripture and not compromise. But even in those times, we're told to do it with love. But people aren't only strengthened. They're also, when we, when we, 
submit to the Lord. He shows up in our lives. When we get these things together, people are saved. They're saved. I think it's interesting. Watch this. Peter reached down and picked him up. And strength came into his ankles and feet. He had never walked before. And now he's doing what he's never done before. And what does he do? He begins to jump up and down. And he's singing. And he's shouting. And he's causing a ruckus. And he's saying, thank you, Peter. Is that what he's saying? No. He's running across the temple. And he's praising God. Because he knew it wasn't Peter that did it. He knew Peter just possessed connection with the one who can do it. He was saved in his heart and spirit. He was praising God. The people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized who he was and where he came from. Dear folks, dear friends, when God shows up in this building, in our hearts, in this congregation, people will begin to notice that we are different. And when we are used by the Holy Spirit to change lives, to strengthen lives, and for lives to be saved, people will know it's of God. Now, here's the question. Has God shown up in your life? If you never invited God, if you never invited God through His Son, Jesus, to come into your life, that's your starting place. That little tug you feel in your heart, that little tug you feel in your heart, That's the Holy Spirit beginning to work on you. Saying you need to do something. You're separated from the God who loves you. And that Holy Spirit will bring you to himself. That you can come for confession and repentance. And you invite Jesus into your life and he comes in. For some of us who are believers, it has been a long time since God has really shown up in our lives. And our perceptions are, we don't, we're not responsible. That's somebody else's problem. That's not mine. If our people in this town, if they don't know the Lord, that's their problem because they know where the church building is just like I do. I had somebody to say that to me one time in a meeting. And there's nothing more indicative of a person who has a hard, cold heart than that attitude. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you can feel God kind of nudging you a little bit. Maybe today's the day that you need to invite him back in and ask him to show up in your life that you can experience both his presence and his power. Maybe the Lord spoke to you about your church membership. He's called you here. Why fight it? Why delay? Has God shown up in your life? He will if you'll invite him to. Let's do that today. Pray with me.